guys, welcome back to this podcast. I have a special guest with me, which is my mom. Um, she is an Enneagram coach, actually. And for those of you that don't know what the Enneagram is, that's what this podcast is going to be all about. We're going to be kind of breaking down what it is, all the components of it. For those of you that are beginners or actually have no idea what you're getting yourself into, she is going to kind of break it down in the most simple way so it's understandable. And then as the podcast Um, goes on or even in later episodes we'll kind of go more into detail about what the specifics are and just kind of more the complexities of it. So first off before we actually get into what the Enneagram is um, I'll let her introduce herself and even just talk about why she got into the Enneagram in the first place. Hey Michelle thanks for having me on your podcast. So I am Misty Michelle's mom and um, really excited about being on here with you guys. So as Michelle said, I am an Enneagram coach, and for those of you that might not know what that means, um, the Enneagram is a personality typing system. You might have heard of Myers-Briggs or DISC. There's so many different things out there, and the Enneagram is one of those, and um, I was introduced to it about nine to ten years ago with my husband, and um, it was something that just blew us away, revolutionized our lives in the way that we began using it as a tool to be our best version, each of us of ourselves, and also to um, help us in our marriage, with our parenting, with our relationships with others, my husband and his business. And so uh, I became so passionate about it and wanted to become a coach that I could help others. So what I do is I coach people to help them find their type. And then once they found their type, I help them do that, just grow into the best version of themselves, learn how to be their healthiest version, um, learn how to get along better with others. And, um, and so I also do a podcast about it and stuff like that. So that's what I do. I know that there are a lot of people out there that are skeptical about the Enneagram. So what would you say to people that have the opinion of it kind of puts you in a box and tells you what you are or who you are. Yeah, so the first thing I always say is the Enneagram is just a tool. Um, It's a really good tool and it's a powerful tool if you use it and do the work, but it is just a tool. So it's not, a lot of people um, hear about the Enneagram and they think, oh, that's just one more thing that's gonna label me, or they see the symbol of the Enneagram and they think, man, that thing's really weird looking, I'm not getting into that, and different things. So um, I, I always tell people, actually there's a quote And uh, some people do say, like, I don't want you to tell me what my type is because then I'm stuck in a box or then, like, people think that I'm just one way. But actually, there's an author, Ian Morgan Cron, and he said that the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box, but it shows you the box that you're already in and tells you how to get out of it. So that just shows you how it's a tool. And I didn't really explain what the Enneagram is or how it's different from other tools. So a lot of these personality tools, they tell you, um, they give you a name or a number um, or some classification to kind of tell you, this is how you probably are. This is the kind of job you should get. This is the kind of person you should date and all that kind of stuff. So the Enneagram helps with that. And there's a lot of similarities in that, but the difference is that the Enneagram um, tells you why you do what you do. What are the motivating factors behind the person that you are, the way you react, and that kind of thing. Okay, great. So the Enneagram has nine different types, and we're just going to do a basic rundown of each of those types, what they're called, what they're known for, what they do in health and unhealth, and their basic desire and fear. Again, there's a lot of complicated things when it, when it comes to the Enneagram, but this is just kind of the basics of each type, just so you guys get an idea of what they look like 
And yeah, mom, you want to take it away? Yeah, so I don't want you guys to be scared into not learning about the Enneagram because it looks really complex. I won't lie to you, it does get very complex. But the cool thing about the Enneagram is that there are so many different aspects of it that you can start with one simple thing and you can learn from that. And if you never want to learn anything else about it, you at least learn something that you can apply to your own personal growth. But if you want to go deeper, there are a lot of really cool aspects about the Enneagram that help you in different ways. So um, we do not have time. It takes me sometimes um, hours with a group or days to go over all the different aspects of the Enneagram. So I'm just going to give you, I picked out a couple of the main points to kind of explain what each type is or what they look like. Um, My mom is actually the OG. She's like a podcast queen. I'm like, how does she sound so professional on a podcast? (laughs) It's because she has one. Anyways, keep going. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but you're so much more natural at this than I am. I have all my cheat sheets and notes and all that. Um, Okay, so there are nine different types. And if you look, if you can, you can even look it up right now online. If you look up the Enneagram, you'll see a diagram. And it's basically like in the shape of a circle with all these different lines connecting the different types and there are nine types so the type we'll start with type number one type number one is called the reformer some people call the type one the perfectionist but actually my favorite name I've ever heard that Ian Morgan Cron uses is the improver and so I'm gonna tell you what each type is motivated by and then I also chose to tell you what their focus of attention is because I think that that's a cool way to help you identify your type so the type one is uh, motivated by being good um, by being uh, someone that's a person of integrity um, and by being accurate in all that they do. Their focus of attention is seeing errors, mistakes, and any problem that needs to be fixed. Okay, so that's how fast we're going to go with each type, but then I'm going to give you some examples as we um, explain some of the other aspects. So that's the type one. The type two is called the helper, and the type two is motivated by the desire to be appreciated, loved, and wanted. So that's, when I say what they're motivated by, that's kind of why they do what they do. So you can kind of use it as a filter of thinking, huh, why do I, of course we use all different reasons for what we do, but the majority of the things that I do say, the way that I react is usually motivated by this specific thing. So again, type two, the desire to be loved, appreciated, and wanted, and their focus of attention is on other people's needs so that they can um, fix those needs or they can provide what that person needs. Okay, so the type Three and Michelle, shout out to Michelle. <laughs> She's a I'm type a type three, three guys. <laughs> Actually, I'm a type one. Um, yeah, very different in a lot of ways. Um, but the type three is the motivator, um, and the type three is motivated by the desire to be admired, respected, and successful in what they do. Their focus of attention is on tasks and goals to accomplish in order to gain that recognition, in order to be successful, in order to um, be admired by others. So that's the type three. Type four is the individualist, and a type four is motivated by the desire to be unique, special, and authentic. Um, Their focus of attention is on seeing what is missing in their lives so that they can continue longing for those things. Um, I will say, I should probably do this for each type, but I will say something that I actually have grown to love about type fours is they are the type, one of the only types that loves melancholy and that appreciates sadness, which is hard for other types. Um, So you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of think, huh, that might be me or that might be someone that I know. 
Um, a type five is called the investigator or the observer. Um, and again, you might look up the Enneagram and find lots of different names for these types. I'm giving you the ones that I use or the ones that are most used. Um, the type five is uh, motivated by the desire to be capable and competent. And their focus of attention is on detaching and observing so that they can maintain their boundaries. They're probably one of the most introverted types um, that, we, that we know. The type six is the loyalist. They're motivated by the desire to have security, guidance, and support. And their focus of attention is on scanning the horizon so that they can predict and plan for the worst case scenario of things. Um, and that they do that so they can avoid potential harm. One way that I identify sixes is usually they're the most like like anxious types or just mm-hmm. very like worst case scenario all the time, which is not bad, but I've I've found that I'm I, I'm easily like able to point out a six by by those things that they do. Yeah, yeah, because they're actually like some people call them like Debbie Downers or like, mm-hmm. ugh, these people they're so negative. Yeah. But if you know sixes in your life, you realize the importance of having them around because a lot of times they're the ones that will be like, hey, that's great, but have you thought about this? Because they're able to see, healthy ones are able to see what could go wrong and how we can still move forward and be prepared for that. So, And I love that because I'm a three and I feel like I'm a little bit more like go with the flow. I don't prepare things in detail a lot of the times and I have six friends and will like be planning something and there have been so many times where they will mention something that is so like obvious but I'm like oh I didn't actually think about that and so I realize that I need them for sure yeah that's good no and I'm glad you mentioned that some people call the six the devil's advocate and if you haven't heard that term it's basically like the person that whenever you say something they're the one that's like on your shoulder saying "Uh uh-huh but have you thought about this Mm -hmm. or that could go Mm -hmm. wrong or this could happen um so yeah Uh, Type seven is the enthusiast, and they are motivated by being happy, being free, being fully satisfied and content in all that they do. Their focus of attention is on best best case thinking so that they can provide stimulation and avoid anything that's negative or any kind of discomfort. They're the life of the party usually, yeah. and um, always someone that's going to turn anything that could be sad into something fun or into a joke. When I was first getting into the Enneagram, I remember, or I've talked to a lot of other people and they've said things like, well, yeah, I, I like, yeah, I, I sound like that. And then somebody will explain the next time and they're like, oh, I'm also like that too. And so, especially when it, I say this, because it reminded me when you talked about the seven, that I feel like everybody wants to be a seven, like everybody <laughs> wants to have fun. And obviously like, that's a thing we all want to enjoy life. But if you really think about like your main, like core motive behind a lot of the things that you do in life, um... For example, using the example of a seven, if you're like, if that's what you seek out is constant excitement, like really trying to avoid emotion, like at the root of everything, if, if that's your motive, then it's going to, you know, be easier for you to identify as a seven. Whereas that's something that I want to experience in life, but at the core of it, that's not, that's not my main desire, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point, Michelle, because also um, a lot of people, they get into the Enneagram and they've heard about it or they know people and they're like, oh man, I really want to be that type, or I definitely don't want to be this type. And so it's kind of hard because you go into it learning about it. And one thing I tell people is probably where you start feeling a little bit uncomfortable when you're reading or listening and you're like, oh, like that, I don't want to be that one. A lot of times it ends up being that type for you because it's the things that you don't really want to admit to, or you don't want other people to notice about you. Um, so the Enneagram definitely takes a lot of like honest, 
um, internal work and being able to say, yeah, I actually do those things and I don't like that about myself and I want to change that. Um, because again, the point of the Enneagram, I like to refer to it as a GPS because it kind of gives you your starting point by, by helping you understand who you are, what you're motivated by. And then it also gives you paths of growth and shows you where you need to be. So, um, so you have to be honest in that journey, but that, yeah, that's a good point, Michelle. So we have two more types. The type eight is the challenger. Um, the type eight probably has the most energy on the Enneagram, even more than a type seven. They're motivated by their desire to achieve autonomy and protect themselves and others. And their focus of attention is on being in control so that they can avoid being controlled by others or being harmed. Um, and also the other people close in their life, uh, protecting them from that control or from that harm. Um, type eights can seem a little bit intimidating at times, and it sometimes is a little obvious to, to pinpoint an eight, but um, I was actually interviewing yesterday a couple that was type three and type eight, and we were talking about how when you get past that outer armor that an eight wears, they can actually be the most vulnerable and teddy bear type inside, um, but you just have to be able to get to know them. And then last but not least at all, the type nine, which actually sits at the top of the um, Enneagram diagram um, is the type nine and they are the peacemaker. And then so the type nines are motivated by the desire to have inner stability and peace. And their focus of attention is on learning other people's agenda so that they know how they can keep that peace and harmony. Um, they're just great mediators. They're really easy to be around, laid back. Um, they can be funny, fun, um, but just always avoiding any kind of conflict. Yeah. And within or going along with each type, you are able to have a wing, what people call a wing, mm -hmm. which is basically the number. So we're going to use the example of a three. Um, for a three, it could either be three with a two wing or three with a four wing. So the number behind or the number in front. Yeah. Um, can you kind of go into yeah. like explaining what that is? Yeah. So like I mentioned at the beginning, there's all these different aspects. And this is one of the ones that's most talk about, talked about. You might even hear people say that know about the... Enneagram, they might say, hey, like for me, example, I'm a type one with a one wing or type one with, um, yeah, type one wing two. There's different ways to put it or one W2. You'll see these things. And that's what that's referring to. And so wings are really cool. And again, it's all with the, the intention of growing. So what it means is we're going to use the example of a three. So a type three, the motivator, the closest two numbers to them or to the sides of a type three is two and four. So those are the possible wings. It doesn't mean like when you take a test and you get all these different percentages, it doesn't mean like my highest number is a three and my uh, second highest number is like a seven. It doesn't mean that I'm a type three with a seven wing. That's not how it works. It has to be a two or a four in the case of a three. So what that means is that the type three has access to some of these traits or characteristics of those two types. And usually a person uses one wing more than the other. So that's why people will classify themselves with a wing. But it doesn't have to be that way. It, some people use both wings equally. Some people think that they really don't use their wings and they're just very dominant in their main type. Um, but what it would look like is for a type three, for example, the motivator, um, if a type three uses their two wing a little bit more, they're tapping into that 
helper of the type two. They're a little bit more sociable. They might be a little bit more encouraging. They're probably like more popular. Um, they're definitely like more helpful, like always kind of looking for the needs of others like a two would. But if there are three that uses their four wing more, you might see a little bit more of that artistic flair to them. They're probably a little bit more um, focused on work. They're probably uh, maybe a little bit more introverted. Um, they tend to be more introspective, being able to tap into those inner feelings and that type of thing. So um, that's an example using the type three. That's for wings. Right. And then even more into that are subtypes, which I actually didn't start learning about subtypes until much later. So you don't have to go into detail about it because it's you know, it's, I think wings and just the basic Enneagram is kind of where we should start. But um, just briefly, what are subtypes within an Enneagram number? Yeah, and I think even if, you, if you're okay with this, I think before we talk about subtypes, because I know you wanted to talk about the lines, the lines of health and, and, and um, oh, stress, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. and then subtypes, um, because when you're looking at the, at the diagram of the Enneagram, we mentioned the wings, and then if you see the lines, those lines also have meaning and are another way that you can find growth. So with wings, if you're looking at wings and you're like, man, how do I use that to grow? What you want to do is say, okay, I wouldn't want to just be a three with a two wing. I want to be a three that uses the healthy aspects of a two and a four, and I want to try to avoid the negative things of a two and a four because I already have my own negative things that I deal with as a type three, if that makes sense. But then you get into these lines, and that talks about, um, there's different ways, but you can talk about it as um, growth and stress, Those some people call them the growth and stress lines, and that's probably the easiest way to, to, to talk about it. Um, but what that means is that if you look at the three, they have lines that connect to a nine and to a six. And so um, these lines can go both ways. But the main way that we explain it is that a three, when they are under stress or when they're, they're not in their most healthy moment, their line goes to a nine. And so what that means is that they can kind of start acting like an unhealthy nine. So a three that's normally um, forward motion, what's next, oriented to the future, growing, um, lots of goals, nonstop. Um, all of a sudden, when they're stressed out, they might kind of become a little bit apathetic and they might not want to do anything but lay on the couch and watch Netflix all day. I've heard people refer to it as like a sloth. And when I heard that, I was like, that's exactly what it is. I even remember one time I was like, this was in the middle of COVID, but I was just like not having it, just like emotionally so over it. And I remember I came downstairs one time and I'd been in my room all day watching TV. And I came downstairs with like super baggy sweatpants. I don't know if you remember this. And like a hoodie like over my head. And you're like, oh my gosh, she's definitely not. She's <laughs> tapping into her nine right now. Yeah. And that's good because sloth is actually the central weakness of a nine. And so that's what happens. And your dad, actually, that was one of the ways that he really confirmed that he was a type three because we talked about how, like, he never, ever seemed to get stressed. And people would always think, oh, Danny, he doesn't get stressed out. And then when we started learning about it and learning what happens when a three is under stress, it was like, oh, my gosh. For him, he was like, that's that's what ha that's what happens every once in a while when I just want to put a hoodie on. Yeah. Like, nobody bother me. Pull the blinds. 
let's just watch Netflix all day because yeah. that's very atypical of a type three. And so when that happens, it's usually an indicator that it's not a bad thing to want to watch Netflix, but yeah. it's usually an indicator that, okay, I need to kind of switch directions here and move on the, in, in the other, like the other way where my other line goes so that I'm not just living in this unhealth. Um, and okay. then on the flip side, the three, when they're growing, when they're healthy, when they're integrating is another way to put it their line goes to a six. So a three can, if they're not, if they're kind of just an autopilot and they're not um, trying to be their best version, they're not growing, they can kind of just be like, it's all about me. Like my goals are just for me. Like I'm just focused on what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, um, be, sometimes being in the spotlight, those kind of things. But when they're healthy and they're growing, they realize how great it is and how important it is to help other people grow. Mm -hmm. So they all of a sudden tap into the healthy side of a type six and they become this really loyal friend, this loyal, uh, maybe a coworker or whatever it might be that is all of a sudden saying, Hey, what is it that, what are your goals? What is it that you want to accomplish and how can I help you get there? And so mm -hmm. that's an example of how those line works and it's different for each type. Yeah, I found that, well, because we're using the example of a type 3, when I find myself, like, kind of in autopilot, not, like, un like emotionally unhealthy or not unhealthy just in general, but just kind of, like, oh, you know, just living life, kind of going through the motions, I can become so, like, just hyper-focused on, like, getting things done and, like, I guess, like, my image because I don't want to appear like I'm not doing great even though I know internally I'm not doing great kind of like it's hard to be vulnerable and so I find that I become I feel like a lot of people get twisted and think that it's like threes are just the most prideful people on earth I feel like it doesn't necessarily come from like I'm the best and I want everybody to think I am at least for me it's just more of like a I don't want to appear to be like a failure or like I don't have it together mm -hmm. and so therefore when I find myself like kind of not doing great then I become so focused on like, okay, what can I get done? What can I do? That I kind of lose sight of like, oh, there's all these other people around me. And then when I'm in health and when I feel like, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, I'm able to, I find myself more relaxed and yeah. therefore I'm able to really tap into like, hey, I, I want to be a help to so many people around me. Yeah. I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's good. Another name for the three is the achiever. And I choose to use motivator because I feel like an achiever focuses on that typical autopilot of a three trying to get their stuff done when a motivator focuses on that healthy growth that a three can achieve um, to motivate others. They're such great visionaries, and when they can use that to help other people, it's, it's really powerful. It's really great. So, Michelle, you mentioned subtypes, which is another yeah. aspect of the Enneagram, and it's a really cool one. And we won't dive deep into that because that can get really complex, but I encourage everyone that's listening to go and learn more about it. Um, because subtypes, a lot of people, they think, man, I feel like I could be this type, but then some of these things don't line up, or I also feel like I might be more of this other type. And subtypes can really help it. It's like breaking it down for each type because what it is is each type, so the nine types, each type has three subtypes. So it's like you take these three, they're called instinctual variants that all of us use in life, which are self-preservation, um, the social uh, instinct, and then also the sexual or one-to-one -one, um, instinct. So there are these three instincts that everyone uses in life. But if you apply those instincts or kind of like a layer over top of each type, you get these different versions of each type. 
So, um, and, and that's driven from another aspect that's called your central weakness. And so it's kind of like showing how that central weakness works in each type. And um, that's a whole nother thing to learn about too, which I think is, is important. But for the type three, for example, example, their central weakness, some people call it deceit. Some people call it falsehood. Some people call it vanity. It doesn't mean that they're liars, that they're always deceitful, but it just shows this central weakness or core sin that they, that they deal with. Some people call it the, like, um, the capital, what's it called? The, um, the deadly sins. Some people call yeah. it the deadly sins. So we all deal with all of those, but each type has one specific that they always are having to deal with. And we'll get into that in a later episode. We were actually talking about this yesterday, how we don't have to get into it right now, but how like when it comes to deceit, a lot of times when it comes to a three, I don't know if you guys identify with being a three or whatever, but a lot of times they like deceive themselves more mm-hmm. than they deceive other people. Yeah. And I think that that could be a whole podcast episode in itself. <laughs> yeah, no, it is because a three, they're so good. They, they are sometimes chameleons. They're so good at being whatever it is that they think they need to project to fit in or to be impressive and all that. And so sometimes if they're not careful, they can kind of get themselves confused and not really know who they really are because they're always putting these different masks on to be who they think they need to project to other people. So anyways, that's the central weakness. And subtypes, they are actually, um, they break down from that central weakness. So how each type um, filters that central weakness. And so that's another area that's really, really cool to get into because um, you might have, well, actually your dad, um, you have threes that they're like, but I don't really come across like that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in the spotlight or whatever. His, his focus is really on work. And so what it is, is we realized he's a self-preservation three. And those are threes that all of this like admiration, validation, um, being impressive, all that stuff, it's really, it comes through in their work and that's where they're focusing their energy on. But then you have the social three that's kind of the typical, what you would think of a three. They're like the star, they're the performer, they want to be in the spotlight, they don't mind bragging about their achievements and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you have the one-to-one three, which Michelle identifies with the most. Mm-hmm. And that's one that kind of is in the middle. They're kind of looking for all this validation. And it's like if they have their, t- their, their two, three, four closest relationships, I mean, it doesn't have to be a specific number, but the closest relationships in their life, if those are good and they feel that validation and they feel that they are being appreciated by those people, then they can kind of like step into the healthy version of their threeness and not and feel like they don't have to show that vanity or they can protect that vanity. So anyways, it's a little bit more complex when you get into yeah, that stuff. I would say once you get into the Enneagram and like, you know, figure out what number and what wing you are, I would totally encourage you to go into the subtext because that definitely changed the game for me. Because like my mom said, I felt like I wasn't really identifying with a lot of typical three things, like the whole like always wanting to be in the spotlight and things like that. It's just And not... you would also be like, I feel like I'm a three, but then I also like this type I have a lot of this type yeah and I just felt like I was nothing (laughs) at the time so then when I read about the one-to-one I was I really felt like I find my like or the thing that's most important to me in life I guess are my relationships and what I can be for that and what those are if that makes sense like I find Mm -hmm. almost I guess it can be an identity thing which can be healthy and unhealthy but um anyways that's a whole thing in itself yeah so to kind of go ahead and end what are First of all, what's the best test, which I can actually link below. What's the best test to use? Okay. Yeah. So whenever someone asks me that question, I have to say that I do not feel like tests are the best way to find your type. 
but I think they're a good starting point. So because why do I say they're not the best way? I feel like a lot of times tests, you have to like, if you're distracted, if you're not in the best mood, if you're not in a healthy place, those they can always kind of skew your results. But I do think it's a good starting point and it's fun to do. All those activities when you're taking tests, it makes you stop and ask yourself questions and kind of think about who you are. There are a lot of tests out there, but one of them that's has, it's like a faith-based test and it gives you faith-based results, but it's actually the best one because of the algorithm that it has. Um, is by Your Enneagram Coach. So you go to yourenneagramcoach.com and then you'll see their link for a free test. Then there's also a page called Truity and Truity has a link. And then there are a couple apps out there. One of them that's a good one is called Blueprint. And so if you want it like in an app version, it'll keep your results on your phone and that type of thing. So all those of are these, options. Yeah, all these will be linked down below so you don't have to worry about finding these. Yeah. Um, and then books. I there's One of them is my favorite. Okay. That you can say. I don't know what other ones. Well, if I don't say it, you can say it. Um, Books, I think, are great. And I actually think reading a book or listening to podcasts are the best way to find your type. Because you'll be reading something or you'll be listening to someone and you'll just have that moment where it's like, oh my gosh, this is me. Yeah. And so you're actually relying on the information that you're learning and not just your answers in the moment to a test. So the best book to start, which is like a primer, is The Road Road Back Back to You. (laughs) And that's the book by Ian Morgan Cron. That is a great one to start with. Um, He is the Enneagram. He is the guy. Yeah, he's he's, he's great. And he was one of the first ones to get a a simple book out there that's not too complex. If you want to dive deeper, there are a lot of great options. Um, But I would say to start with that one. I think that's the best one. What I did is I once I took the Enneagram test a few times, I took it over the years, but once I started getting the same results on the test, I read about my three highest numbers, and then that's how I figured out what number I was. Yeah. No, that's good. And it's good also to read because the main purpose of the Enneagram, and we can finish with this, is for personal growth. Um, a lot of times we don't take the time to be our best best version and we don't realize how that hurts ourselves over the years and how it actually hurts other people in our life. And so um, it's a tool for personal growth. But the amazing thing is that once you start learning that, you can also learn about the other types in your life. And then you are able to kind of step back and see their perspective, their focus of attention, what's motivating them. And it gives you so much grace, grace and so much patience for those around you, and it really helps to strengthen relationships. I used to be one of those people that was kind of skeptical about it and didn't like how it just kind of felt like it was putting you in a box. That's why I said that at the beginning, because I know I, I had that opinion at one point. But it truly is a great tool for whatever relationships, um, family, work, um, just whatever. In your life, it really does make a difference, and it helps you to be able to not just lead yourself well, but also know how to interact well with others and be what they need. So I would definitely encourage you guys to get into it. It's definitely worth it. And like I said, this podcast over over time will be a great resource to use because I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast and I'll even get other people specifically, specific types to talk about just all nine types more in depth. So you guys can get that too. But yeah, yeah. no, that's great. So that's kind of the basics of the Enneagram. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Mom. I'm sure you guys will see her again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Bye, guys.